We're going to continue in our psalm this morning, Psalm chapter 103. Our good Lord, this is the third part of, of this psalm and our final part. We are going to be headed into the fantastic book of Galatians uh, next, uh, starting next Sunday. And we look forward to going again verse by verse through that book. But if you join with me in reading verses uh, 15 through 22, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the, of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The modern man readily uh, accepts verses 15 and 16, speaking about the fading man. He understands even the most unreligious, irreligious person understands that man is fading. Everybody readily accepts that man at some point, man, men, and women are, are going to die. That's a, that's a fact that everybody talks about, everybody knows about. This is, uh, this is, this is no story that is simply for Christianity. Anybody could open up these uh, verses, verses 15 and verse 16, and say, I believe that. We believe that man is going to die. We believe that his, his days are numbered. There is going to come a point where a person will fade off of the scene. So this is not an isolated truth to Christianity. This is not something that only Christians believe and only Christians understand. This is something everybody understands and understands with clarity. Yet the problem is man doesn't like to face it. You don't hear men and women often talking about death. In fact, when is the last time you just had a, a conversation, kind of off-the-cuff conversation with somebody as they were simply talking about death in terms like they would talk about sports or cooking or, or anything else? We talk about it. We talk about it when we have to. We talk about it when we need to. We, we talk about it when somebody is going to die or when we feel as if we are close to death. 
we might talk about it in philosophy and in religion classes and lectures and those kind of things. But to really just talk about it, oftentimes humanity avoids talking about it. And yet this is a talk that we need to have. We need to talk about death. We need to talk about the fact that everybody in this room is going to die. At some point, you are going to die. Yes, we believe that Jesus Christ could return at any moment, and oh, we, we pray, Lord, hasten that day. But many Christians over the centuries have believed that, and rightly have believed that, and yet they have died. And so this is a talk that we need to have. We need to, we need to face it. We need to talk about it with clarity. We need to talk about it with, with boldness. It might be like having a talk about getting diagnosed with a disease. Somebody's going around and they're, they're saying, I have all these symptoms and I, I'm concerned about this or that. And they might talk about it a little bit and they might be noticing in their body something is not quite right. But yet they're not sure if they want to go to the doctor yet. They're, they're not sure if they really want to talk about it openly. And finally they go to the doctor and they sit down with the doctor and the doctor says, we have run the tests, we have looked at everything, and we're sorry to report to you that you have stage 4 brain cancer. That, that might not be something we like to talk about, but it's something that we need to talk about. Recently our second oldest daughter, Naomi, has been having a heart issue. And uh, she was at the doctor's a number of months ago, and the doctor was listening to her heart and said there's something not quite right with the way that it is it's beating. And so he sent her for an echocardiogram, and it came back that she did have an issue with her heart. It's not a, a major issue, but it was something that she was she was born with, she's missing one of the three flaps in her aortic valve that everyone is born with. She only has two. Uh, the normal heart has three. And so she's going to be going in to have another consultation with, with another doctor. And this is something that deeply concerns her. We were talking about it on the porch the other day. And she said, Dad, you know, I, I worry about this. And she thinks about her heart, and, and when you are faced with something like that, we thank the Lord that it's nothing, at least at this point, anything serious. But these are not the kind of talks that one likes to have. When we're on an airplane, the last thing that, uh, the last thing that we want to talk about is engine failure. You know, you're sitting next to somebody on the, on the plane that you're, you're riding, and, and uh, all of a sudden you hit some major turbulence, and it's uh, the... The, the airplane is all over the place, and the flight is super choppy. And, uh, and by the way, when things get like that, um, people on the plane get very silent. The last thing you want to hear from your nearby passenger is, um, hey, wouldn't that be something if these engines fail? That'd be... <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about that. People are thinking those kind of things. We don't, we don't talk about, what if there is a terrorist on this plane? 
Nobody openly, nobody openly talks about that. But the talk finally comes if the captain has to. He reports over the intercom. He reports over the loudspeaker. He finally comes over and he says, I hate to report to you. It's a talk that he has to have, but I hate to report to you. The engines have failed. Something we have to hear. And this is what it's often like when we talk about death. It's something that we often don't face on. We, we don't really want to talk about it. And yet the scripture comes to us and tells us, you have to face it. You have to talk about this thing that you are going to be intimately involved in. You are going to die. You say, well, where does the scripture command us to hear this message and command the preacher to talk about it in such clear terms. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40 in many ways is a, is a repetition of what we see here in the psalm, Psalm 103. We see some of the same words that are used. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. Here it is. This is what God is saying. He says, a voice says, cry. In other words, he's saying, Isaiah, God is telling you, you've got to preach this. You've got to talk about it. And Isaiah says in this verse, and I said, what shall I cry? So the Lord says to Isaiah, I want you to preach. Here's, here's a message I'm, I'm about to tell you to preach. And Isaiah says, what shall I preach? What shall I cry? The Lord says, be serious about this. Don't get up there in a monotone voice and just say, now we're going to talk about death and just go on a little bit about that. Say it's no big deal and then move on. No, no. He says, cry out. Here's what to cry. Here's the sermon. All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. What, what a sermon. He's telling Isaiah, I want, you, I want you to say this and I want you to preach this with boldness and authority. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Isaiah, I want you to preach, and I want you to preach about the fading man. This is exactly what David has also preached in Psalm chapter 103. He wants us to hear about the fading nature of man. He wants us to hear about death. Now, we resist this. We resist this for a number of reasons, especially the person that doesn't know God person that doesn't know God doesn't like dealing with this matter, not in depth, because for the, the person who doesn't know God, death is very final. Once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. So the unbeliever is walking through this life, and he or she is thinking, I've got one chance at this thing. And that's what we see in the world today. We see people with that idea, that mentality. I've got one chance, one shot at life. And once I die, it's over. It is completely final. So I'm going to try to live the best way I can. I'm going to try to live the way that I want to live. But once I die, 
it's over. It's also terrifyingly unknown. What is going to happen when a person dies? So a person says, I know I'm going to die, but the question to them is, the question to the unbeliever is, what, what happens after this, this thing called death? We know we're all headed there. We go on in life as if we're never going to die, but we all know in the back of our mind we're going to die, and it's unknown. By the way, even for, for some, uh, the notion of heaven is terrifying. They think of heaven in all the wrong terms. They think heaven forever. I'm going to be in a perpetual church service, and all I'm going to be doing is singing song after song forever and ever. Is that all I'm going to be doing? I don't know if I'm even interested in that. But there's also this solitary nature to death. No one can die with you. You say, well, somebody could die at the same time, but they're not really dying with you. And nobody can die for you. So on that final day, when your last day comes, you're alone. And if you have the chance, you might know you're dying. Now, perhaps you've thought about this, and this is uh, perhaps a rather morbid conversation, but perhaps you've even thought about if there's a way that you would prefer to die. I've, I've often thought about this, and... Um, I've heard people say things like they would like to die in their sleep. And they just have this, uh, this, peaceful, this peaceful death, and they're, they're sleeping, and then it's just like so-and-so, so-and-so passed on. I, I don't want to die like that. I, I want to die knowing. I, I'd like to say last goodbyes, and I, I'd like to say a few words before I die and hear a few words from others this whole notion of just kind of going off uh, in, in sleep is not very appealing. I, I told the, the people at the nursing home recently, I said, I, I'm not afraid one bit of death, but there is something that concerns me. I think it concerns others, and that's how you're going to die. Whether it's uh, painful, whether there's affliction, all the things that are surrounding death. But one thing that we do know is regardless of if a person is completely aware of their death or impending death or not, is that you're alone. And now at this point, you are, you are going the way of all the people in history. You're going the way of all the pharaohs who have died, all the people in the ancient civilizations who have died. You're joining them in death. You're joining all the ancient Persians and all the ancient Greeks. You're joining the billions of people that have died before us. And so for many, this can be very terrifying. The, the final nature of it all can be scary. And the fact that it's so solitary, the fact that you're alone when you die can be fearsome. <clears throat> So the world responds to this, and the world has answers for how we need to respond to death. For man, his days are like grass. Isn't grass beautiful when it's, when it's on a lawn so well manicured? You, you walk by a beautiful lawn, and uh, 
There's this beautiful grass that is growing. It's green. You can cut it. You can smell the smell the clippings. Everything smells so fresh and looks so beautiful. And yet you go by a compost pile a few weeks later. Clippings have been dumped in that thing. Not so beautiful. This is what the Bible's saying. His, his days are like grass. He's there, majestic. There's something glorious about mankind, beautiful. The psalmist David even says he flourishes like a flower, this beautiful flower. We could say that every person in this room is beautiful in his or her own way. Created in the image of God. Majestic and glorious. By the way, this is what gives worth to humans. It's not because somebody said so. It's because God said so. God made us in his image. And uh, it's because of that that everyone looks like beautiful grass or a beautiful flower of the field. But then the wind passes over it. The wind blows over that mown grass, and the clippings are blown away. And it's gone. And we take the remains of somebody, whether it's their ashes or their corpse, and we... We bury them. But how are, how, are we to, uh, how are we to think about this? We think about death. The Bible is saying, cry out, talk about this, come face to face with it. Let me, let me just say this as, as we're passing. Are you ready? Are you ready for death? Does, does death terrify you? Not the way that you're going to die, but do these things describe you? Have you talked about death, but you're afraid to talk about it? Oh, you might even say that you believe certain things in the Scripture, but in your heart of hearts, you know you're, you're afraid, you're scared to death. This whole notion of death is terribly unknown to you. Maybe you've never really said what you really think and what you feel. Now, many have come along, the, the, the modern man, the scientists, all the smart people. They've said, listen, here's what you have to do. We, we've progressed past God. Sure, we believe this verse or two. But sitting in a church listening to, a, to an old text is not for us. They have a blunt declaration. Here's, here's what you need to do. You need to uh, dogmatically accept the fact that you're simply an animal. And when you die, that's it. You go into the ground, there is, there is nothing more left to you. So you hear people talk like this all the time, and they are even sometimes fanatical in their preaching of this concept. All you are is clay, nothing more. All you are is an animal. When you die, it's all over. You just go to sleep for a real long time. And that's it. And they would say things like this, that religion is for the coward. That Christianity is a crutch for the weak-minded. 
It's for older women. It's for grandmothers and uh, grandfathers and the feeble and children. That's who it's for. But it's definitely not for intelligent people. Definitely not in the year 2018. And so they come along and they tell us, listen, you just need to accept it. You need to man up, so to speak, and you need to simply come to terms with the fact that you're going to die. Once you die, that's, that's simply it. In fact, you need to stop thinking about and talking so much about Jesus. Lawrence Krauss, one of the leading scientists of our day, and by no means is a Christian, he said this. He said, forget Jesus. Quote, forget Jesus. The stars died so you could be born. He goes on to say that um, in your, your hands, your left hand, look at your left hand, look at your right hand, it's all made of stardust. Those are real comforting words, aren't they? Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Krauss, if um, Lawrence Krauss, if time allows, is going to way, go the way of the ancient Greeks. He's going to be seen as believing in Zeus. This is so absurd. And that's what we're told. Then we have other people who are who are cocksure. By the way, we're. Not 100% where, where we get that term. It could come from the cock of a gun as it hits the, the flint, or as sure as the cock will crow in the morning. But we have, we have people who are cocksure in their settled uncertainty. And I'm sure you've talked with people like this. They'll say something like this. Nobody knows what's going to happen, and there's no way you can know. But they know that for a fact. Nobody can know. You talk with younger people who don't know Christ, they'll say this. It almost comes very natural. Middle-aged people, you talk with people who are older, who've gone through their whole life, who are not believers, and they'll say the same thing. They'll say, there's just no way you can know. And so, you know, anybody who comes and says that they... Anybody who comes along and says that they know, they really don't know. They're arrogant or they're deranged or their Neanderthals in their thinking. It's amazing how you can talk with people, and they're certain of this. They're certain of uncertainty. They're certain that nobody can know, and so it's not even worth trying. And millions upon millions of, of people are like this. So you have the, the dogmaticians who say, this is simply what you're going to need to accept. You have those who are cocky, who say that uh, everything is uncertain, that's what you're going to need to accept. You just accept that everything is uncertain and you just kind of go on. Or you have those who, who are shallowly religious. They have shallow sentiment. They'll say things like this, all, all, is, all is going to be okay. So-and-so, Tony, Tony is in a better place. No certainty about Christ, but they just kind of wish for the best. Well, we hope he's in heaven. We, we know that he moved on to his, to his eternal home, whatever that means. So these are the answers that you'll often hear in, in today's society, in today's marketplace, 
in regard to this whole notion of facing death. If we're going to face death, these are the best answers that we can give. One thing that we can be sure of us is not one person is so important that the world will not go on without us when we die. We die, and seven billion people just continue on. And we'd like to think that we're going to be remembered forever and all this kind of stuff, and that's not what the Bible says at all. In fact, it says here in verse 16, For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no it knows it no more. Life will go on without you. This world will continue to spin. Everything will continue to go on as it has gone on. That's what the text of Scripture is saying. In fact, if you flip over to Job chapter 7. Job chapter 7 verse 10. This is talking about, again, man's life in verse 7, chapter 7, Job 7, verse 7, that life is like a breath. Then it says in verse 10, he returns, the man who, who dies, he returns no more to his house. His house is now empty, or it is only populated by the relatives that he left behind. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. The problem with all these answers is these are, these are answers from the inside. These are answers from, from men and women trying to tell other men and women exactly what happens in something that is completely unknown. So we have this problem that is outside of us. It's bigger than us. We cannot solve it. It's a riddle that is too strong. Cryogenics is not going to settle this. We say, well, we're going to chop our head off and freeze it in a freezer, and someday they're going to resurrect us again. We're going to come back and have a great life on the same earth with all the same sinful problems, and we'll die all over again. Won't that be wonderful? <laughs> Sounds like fun. So we have men and women trying to tell other men and women exactly how this whole thing works, and it's not working out. In fact, it's like the blind leading the blind. Why should we listen to Lawrence Krauss? Why should we listen to any person that tells us that all we have to live with is certain uncertainty? Why should we listen to the person who just says to us in a sentimental way, everything's okay, they're in a better place, and it sounds so shallow because it is? How do we know they're in a better place? Here's, here's what we need. We need a comforting word of immortality from the outside. So here we are all populated on the inside on, on this planet, and we need, listen, we need desperately, man is never going to solve this issue. We need a word from the outside. In fact, we're like the enclosed hamster. Feverishly digging through the wood shavings. Trying to find a pellet of food never realizing that it has been dropped in from the outside.
look up. Here's what we need. We need a word from God. And here's his word, verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Oh, that is comforting. Oh, that's comforting word from the outside. You mean God loves us? The everlasting God loves us with an everlasting love. To all those who fear him, he, he loves them. And his righteousness to his children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and to those who do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. He drops within our heart. We can experience in the here and now the actual love of God. Somebody comes and says, how do you know all this is true? And you say, well, I know the evidence and I've heard all these different things, but the Holy Spirit has gripped my heart. I know it's true because I know it's true in my heart. I've heard his word. I've been changed. He's given me his love. I've actually experienced the presence of God. This, this is why it's, the Word of God is so unique and so powerful that somebody can walk in from the outside who's never heard the gospel. We don't have 20 scientific arguments. We don't have all sorts of different things that are going to persuade them. All we simply tell is the truth of the gospel. And as they're sitting there listening to it, they're listening to the words of God. God convicts us through his truth, the word, with the power of the Holy Spirit. As we're listening to his word, we're going, that's true. That's true. I don't need 30 classes. I don't need 40 lectures to figure all of this out. This is why a, children can, a child can come in here. Listen to God's word. Or you're sitting across the table from him or her. You're telling them the word of God. And they're going, that's right. That's exactly right. This is a word from the outside. God loves us through death and into eternity. What God speaks to us is he says death is not final. Death does not have the last word. That there's a living God who has invaded our confusion. And he has told us that the one who turns to him in repentance and faith, believing on him, will not only be taken care of in this life, but will also be taken care of the second that they die. Love that not only is poured into our heart now, but it's, it's love that lasts, as the text of Scripture here says, it lasts from everlasting to everlasting. The truth is you're never going to die. Oh, you're going to die physically at some point. You and I are going to go the way of the earth at some point. But the second we exhale and give a final prayer or something like, into your hands I commit my spirit. We as believers in the love of God, the love, there will be no fear. The perfect love of God will overwhelm us in every way. The second a person dies, 
They're not scared. They don't feel isolated and alone. In fact, the scriptures tells us that the angels come to escort us into the very presence of God. What a comforting thought. If you go over to Luke chapter 16, Luke 16, Luke chapter 16, verse 22. This is that whole story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it says, when the, the poor man died, the poor man died, here it is, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was, was buried. So here, here's what we have to look forward to as believers. We come to, we come to Christ. Our, our hearts are opened up to him. And, and by the way, you, you can be, here, here's, the, here's the scary thing. A person can believe in all the truths of scriptures, even these truths, and, and not have their heart really gripped with it. You know, you, you can say, I believe in Christ, I, I believe in the resurrection, I believe in all these things, but until it really grips your heart and you go, I, I believe that, that's mine. The Lord changes our hearts, he, um, he opens them, he regenerates them. He makes us brand new. He, he turns us in from uh, an idolater person who is just going along with the flow of the world, and now he turns us into a God lover. So as we, as we begin to sing these songs, our hearts are lifted up in worship. As we're going about it in our daily life, our, our hearts are lifted up in prayer. This is what it means to be a, a Christian, to be gripped with these, to be gripped with these truths. But the scripture here talks to us about the fact that even though it's solitary in one sense, it's not solitary in the world's thinking. It's not just all alone going to the unknown. But it's being captured. It's being surrounded by the love of God. It's being escorted from, from this realm into the very realm of God with, with the angels escorting us. I, I mentioned him Recently, and I'll mention him again because it seems to fit well, but when John was dying, there was a, there was a comfort as he was listening to the old-time radio, the old-time songs, and the old-time preaching. He wanted to hear a word from God. Lawrence Krauss is not going to comfort him. And, and so when we, when we think about this, we, we don't need to fear it because God's with us. And God tells us you, you don't have to be like this hamster that's just running around looking for this thing, thinking that the pellet is simply somehow created in the, in the cage. It's a word of God that, that comes in from the outside. And I, I remember talking to him and others uh, in preparation for death, saying the angels of God. As soon as you, uh, as soon as, as soon as you leave, the angels of God are right there to escort you, to be with you. The overwhelming presence of God. The Bible says in First John, it says this: it says, "Perfect love casts out all fear. No fear in death. The sting of death has been has been taken away." But it's not just this everlasting love for us. 
It's an everlasting love to our children's children. In other words, generations after us can experience the same Christ, experience the same Holy Spirit, experience the same Father's love. Isn't that something? The same Jesus that Peter and John loved is the same Jesus you and I love with the same kind of passion. How, how is that possible? Here we are, generations removed, and that's why Peter in 1 Peter writes, even though you have not seen him, you love him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And then God says this. He says, I have a kingdom, and it's a kingdom that is established. It's a kingdom that is over all governments. It's over this whole universe. It's a kingdom that is not fading. It's not like our bodies that are like grass. It's a kingdom that is built for eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. But this is for those who understand the covenant. This is for those who have clung to Christ. For those who have received Jesus Christ, you say, how do we enter this covenant? Is it is it through doing something? It talks here about commandments and the fear of God. But the only way through is through receiving what Christ has done for us on our behalf, the fact that he obeyed the covenant perfectly for us. And as we come to him in faith and as we come to him believing in him, our hearts are changed and we want to be obedient. And that's why it says here to those who fear him, to those who obey him. A Christian is somebody who is obedient to the things of God. They don't just hear the word of God, but they obey it. In fact, if you go over to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. 1 John chapter 5. Verses 2 and 3, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So as a Christian, oh yeah, are there still temptations? Are there still sins and struggles and so on? Absolutely. But the Christian inwardly says, I, I, want, I want to obey. I, I, I want to do what I see here in the scriptures. I'm not resistant against the thing that is taught, the precepts, the law of God, the commandments. In fact, we learn to delight in them. We learn to love them. So here this psalm, and as we think about this, this is all one song that would have been sung by the Hebrew children. The psalmist has taken us through and he says that God doesn't count our sins against us. He's uh, removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. He has talked about God's everlasting nature, his everlasting love. He's talked about the fact that we are fading, but God is not fading. He's talked about an eternal kingdom. So what's the only right response? The only right response is worship. And that's what he closes with if you go back to Psalm 103, verse 20. And he doesn't just start with us, but he says this, Bless the Lord, O you his angels. There we go. We've been talking about angels. Here's, here are his angels, these created beings. 
You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. By the way, we know that the angels are are ministering spirits. They minister to Christ. They minister to us. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1 real quick. Hebrews 1, verse 14 talks about angels, and it says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve uh, for those to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Ministering spirits. So we not only have angels carrying us into heaven, but we also have angels who are ministering to us right now. It's possible you've talked to an angel and have not even known it. And David comes along and says, Bless the Lord, you his angels. All the angels who, uh, hey Gabriel, it's time to, to, to bless the Lord. Michael, time to bless the Lord. This is, uh, bless the Lord, all his hosts. Again, talking about angels, his ministers who do his will. And someday uh, in heaven, we will join angels, ten thousands upon ten thousands of people, joining countless angels in the worship of Christ. And then it gets to the whole world. Here it says, bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion. It goes from angels to the world, and then it gets down to us individually. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. What a God we serve, huh? That we can uh, we can come before Him. We're not like the world. Listen, we have hope. When we talk to an unbeliever who's starting to talk a little bit about death, but they're kind of talking about it in any of the terms that we're talking about, we can say, actually, here's what we need. I know the answer. I have the answer. It's not my answer. It's the answer from God. We need a word from outside. You say, well, I don't know. You know, they might accept it. They might not accept it. Well, that's true. But listen, we have been called to be faithful witnesses. And as we, as we preach the word of God, as we say we have the answer, there are going to be those who are, who are listening. There are going to be those who are going, to, you know, I've been really fearing death. I've been, I've been thinking about this whole fading nature of, of uh, mankind for a while. I don't know where I'm going when I'm, I'm going to die. And we, we begin to open up the word of God. As believers, we need to hear this comforting word over and over again. The Lord comes to us and he, he says to us, don't fear Say, well, I'm a believer, strong in faith. You know, don't struggle with faith at all. And the Lord comes and says, No, no, we are you're weak, and there are times of fear, and there's times of doubt, and he continues to come and comfort us with this good word. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Would you stand with me as we close? If I could ask if somebody could please ask Crystal to come up, that'd be great. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want us, like Isaiah says here, Isaiah chapter 40, you want us to face this issue head on. In fact, you want us to hear the word of God about this. Because you have the power over death. And God, as we, as we come down uh, and think about all this, at the end of that text in Isaiah, it says, and the word of God endures forever, is everlasting. 
And so, Lord, we have a, a choice to make in our life. Are we going to believe those who are telling us that they have the answer when they have no experience or no true knowledge? Or are we going to trust the timeless word of God? The word of God endures forever. The word of God endures forever. Would you say that with me? The word of God endures forever. Let's say that again. Over death. The word of God endures forever. Over my life. The word of God endures forever. Father, we thank you for that. Your word. Your word. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.